Welcome to episode 12 of the WP Campus podcast, a podcast for those using WordPress in higher education. Whenever you talk about WordPress, someone brings up WordPress security. Your boss is going to bring it up, your clients are going to bring it up, and there's a decent chance you've had at least one night's sleep ruined thinking about it. It's one of those things that makes you feel paranoid. Am I doing enough? Do I have a compromised site and not even know it? My name is Brian DeConnick. I'm joined by my colleague at NC State, Jen McFarland, and also by Paul Gilzo, who says that as an owner of a WordPress site, it is your responsibility to be paranoid about security. Paul is the lead programmer for the Division of Marketing and Communications at the University of Missouri. Uh, he presented at WP Campus 2016 and at Hyatt Web 2016 on the topic Access Denied, Keeping Yourself Off an Attacker's Radar. And at Hyatt Web, he received the highly coveted Red Stapler Award. So welcome, Paul. Thank you. So uh, I guess first, congratulations on the Red Stapler Award. For those who are not uh, Hyatt Web initiated, what is the Red Stapler Award? So the Red Stapler Award is a Hyatt Web tradition. Uh, they have seven tracks of focus in those presentations, and for each track, they select a, a best of from those presentations, and those best of present those best of presentations are presented with a red stapler, uh, kind of as a nod to office space. Mm-hmm. And so you you received a red stapler. You were best of track and also best of best of the conference. Is that right? That's correct. Uh, which was really surprising. Uh, there was a lot of really fantastic presentations this year. I believe there were uh, eighty four in total. Um, so it was quite a shock to not only be presented or to be selected as the best of track, but to also be selected as best of conference. Yes, I also presented, and I just have to know because I don't have a red stapler, at least not yet. Does it actually work? It does actually work. That's awesome. I really, in my dreams, it did, but I just wanted to make sure. It. Do, I don't let anybody use it. Oh, of course not. No. <laughs> so I do have people that come in that need a stapler and then start to reach for. And you're like, oh no, you don't. Yeah, I'm like, no, 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 that one, that one isn't used. <laughs> you, have, you have to have your, your different tiers of stapler. You've got yes. your everyday use, your special occasion, and, and then your never stapler. use. Yeah. Yes, stapler. Um, so Jen was at Hyatt Web, and she went to your session, and she sent me a message during Slack during it that was like, uh, oh, my God, I'm terrified. Um, <laughs> So and, and I feel like we do okay with this. I actually teach a WordPress security class for our campus, so yeah. So I guess uh, to start off, um, for everybody who wasn't in Sarasota, wasn't in Memphis, um, could you give us a, like a thirty-second overview of what your session was all about? Yes. Uh, the the main focus of the presentation is really uh, re- how reconnaissance works from an attacker standpoint, um, and then how they use how they collect that data how they analyze that data, and then how they use that data against you to attack your sites. Uh, I selected WordPress specifically because we actually had an incident on campus where we were compromised, and I had to spend a lot of time uh, triaging and fixing compromised sites. Uh, and then WordPress is just heavily used in higher ed, so it, it seemed to fit really well both with WP Campus and High Ed Web. And how long have you been working on WordPress stuff? Uh, since 2009. And I guess uh, this is a terrible question to ask, but how much time do you spend on security? How many incidents do you run into? It kind of comes and goes. Security is is really just a a fascination of mine. Even before I moved into apps dev professionally, just always loved kind of tinkering with uh, security, you know, looking at things and going, huh, 
I wonder if I change that parameter, what would happen? Will it break? You know, will it dump out something for me? So I, I, I kind of just do it in my job anyway, uh, and have gotten a reputation on campus for, for being knowledgeable and helpful. So I'd say I spend somewhere around 10 to 15% of my time in security on here on campus. Let's get into some of what you talked about in your presentation. What is it that makes higher ed such a valuable target for the people who are looking to target us? So I think there's three main areas. I think the first one you can start with is our domain. So not everybody can get a .edu. You have to be uh, an institute of higher education, or education, not necessarily higher education. So we're given leeway as far as like being blacklisted. If there's a problem in our network or on our domain, they don't just automatically blacklist us. They usually kind of give us a little bit of time um, because we were actually an institute. You know, anybody can get a .com, but not everybody can get a .edu. So if you're someone that's looking to run a spam campaign and you know that the, a domain you're running out of is going to be resistant to blacklisting, you're going to be able to run that campaign for a lot longer. The same thing goes for like SEO. Because not everybody can get a .edu, search engines have historically given us more weight when there's links coming in from our domains. So as an attacker, if you're looking to sell like a black market backlink campaign, those are going to be really valuable because they're going to help bump up your SEO rankings. So that's one area that we're, we're really valuable to, to attackers. The second area is just in, in terms of resources. In every educational institution, especially higher education institutes, we all provide internet access to our students and we have massive capacities and we have massive availability. So as an attacker, if you're looking to run a botnet, you know, huge capacity, constant uptime, that's going to be extremely valuable. Um, we, we have a lot of hardware on our networks. You know, even if you're not like a research institution, you've got student machines, you've got faculty machines, you've got staff machines, you've got people bringing uh, connected devices and all of those are potentially compromisable, are potentially vulnerable. Um, if you're a research institution, you probably have lots of additional servers in your data centers, or you might have a connected data center. Um, and again, if you're an institutionalist, or excuse me, a research institute, there's a good chance you're gonna have like confidential, or excuse me, uh, proprietary information or confidential research data that, <laughs> especially for like a state actor, could be extremely valuable. So just, just lots of things that that aren't necessarily complete, completely unique from the private sector, but certainly are uh, more highly available here on campus. Mm -hmm. And one of the things you mentioned in your slides as well is, uh, you know, we don't necessarily have a lot of staff that are spending time monitoring this. We have a lot of people who have lots of different job responsibilities. Yeah, even in the private sector, this happens. Uh, you know, security is one of those things where you don't see a direct ROI. You know, you have security divisions saying, hey, we need to buy these products, we need to do these things, but you don't see a return on that. You only see a return in the sense that if you're compromised, you have to clean it up. Mm -hmm. It's even worse for education because everybody's going through budget cuts. Everybody ha has tighter budgets, and so one of the first things that kind of happens is security kind of falls off or responsibilities are delegated to those that aren't necessarily trained or have skills in those areas. So... Attackers, they see this and they know that, all right, well, these places don't have the dedicated staff that maybe uh, somebody in the private private industry would and know that there's going to be a larger percentage of potentially vulnerable things on a campus. 
So when one of these attackers is targeting one of our WordPress websites, um, in your experience, what are they looking to do? What's what what are their objectives targeting? You know, let's say uh, randomdepartment.university.edu. They're trying to get your resources. So they're just trying to find a foothold into your network in order to do whatever it is they're needing to do. So if they're looking right. at a botnet, they're wanting to get some type of hook into your server so they can set up those bots uh, or run a spam campaign. Or if, again, you've got you know some of that confidential research data, maybe they're just trying to get into your server where your departmental website is so they can begin to, to map out the rest of the network and find out where that confidential data is stored. Right, it's, it's, the, it's the front door. Yeah, it's just the front door. It's just a stepping stone into the other pe- into the other places, into the other pieces that they might really be after. So then looking at WordPress, um, well, I guess let's talk about making WordPress safe. So the question that I hear frequently, on uh, I know Jen here. Is, we like to ask all of our potential job candidates. Right. Uh, <laughs> Is WordPress secure? Is Word? That's a great question. So I would say that nothing that's built by humans is absolutely secure. So it doesn't matter whether it's WordPress or Drupal, Joomla, whatever. Nothing's absolutely secure. That's Mm. just the fact we have to face. Uh, WordPress core has a lot of eyes on it. It has a lot of community behind it. And it has has made great strides in being secure. Um, it's certainly way more secure than it used to be, and they're much faster about getting things fixed. So I would say it's mostly secure, or as as good as it's probably going to be for being what it is. The We'd big, accept that answer. I'd hire you. What's that? We'd accept that answer. I'd hire you. Fantastic. Yay. <laughs> I'd love to come work for you guys. Uh, okay. The big problem with WordPress is those plugins. It's the mm-hmm. plugins and the themes, because for better or for worse, there is no real vetting of plugins and themes when they when somebody submits to the repository. I mean, they, they kind of do a cursory glance, but there's no real in-depth security analysis of those plugins and themes. And since anybody can submit one who doesn't necessarily have to know anything about secure coding practices, you end up with a lot of potentially vulnerable plugins and themes that are out there in the wild for anybody to download and use. And that's where the biggest vector is in WordPress nowadays. It's just simply because of this, because of its expandability, because of its extensibility, because anybody can submit it, you end up with just this plethora of, of potential targets. Mm-hmm. We're talking about plugins specifically, um, you spend a while in your in your presentation hiding plugins from people. Uh, can you talk a little bit about what you're doing and and I guess what the what the uh, advantage is to masking what plugins are in use on any site it's the focus at least in the con in the presentation is it really about hiding so much as it's you're not giving away things freely so the the specific term i use in the presentation is, is implicitly denied mm-hmm. uh, it, it's no different than the concept of pri- uh, principle of least privilege except most people don't think about that in terms of a public website most people think what well, a public website you just give everything away so instead, we kind of shift it around and say, okay, well, don't give away the things you don't, that you know shouldn't be given away. So a lot of, a big chunk of the presentation talks about how we, you know, we, you can say it's locking down, but it's really saying, okay, when a request comes in for this area, what are the things that I know 
should be in this area and should be publicly available. And we essentially whitelist those things that should be given out or we know should be given out. So we go through and we say, okay, we're going to deny any request in this area, specifically WP content as the example. We're going to just deny everything by default. And then we're going to back up from there and we're going to say, okay, images. Images are okay to give out. We know we're going to need to give out those images. So that's all right. Uh, style sheets. Obviously, you need to be able to give those out. JavaScript files, uh, you know, maybe XML documents, PDFs, those types of things. So it's really more of, of whitelisting what you know should be given out from those areas. And you can take that, and that, and that goes well beyond WordPress. That goes beyond CMSs. That goes to anything, really, that's app-related, is don't be giving out everything by default instead be giving out nothing and then only give out those things that you absolutely know should be given out and i guess the other side of that is you need to you need to know the use cases for any given website pretty deeply you need to you know if there's some sort of special case and they have files that a file type or a file extension that, that they think they need to give out uh, it's a good opportunity for a conversation with your client about what are, what is it that you're trying to do here? How can we best accomplish that? Absolutely. And WordPress is nice in that in the in the admin area, you know, there is in the settings there is a list of all the file types that you can upload through the media uploader. Mm -hmm. So you can always start from there. You can say, okay, well, here's all the file types we already know that WordPress is going to accept through its uploader. So we can use that as a basis to start. And you're right. I mean, there's there's always going to be that exception to the rule where somebody has a file type that wasn't in your list that they need, and that's that's easily adjustable. And it's a great opportunity to have that conversation and to explain to your clients, you know, this is why we do it. We do it so that things that don't need to be given out aren't being given out. We're not freely giving out this information about ourselves. In the same vein, um, you also spend a little bit of time in your presentation. Uh, not giving away information about your users. Can you talk a little about that? Yeah, that one's fun, especially in our realm in the in the higher ed, because uh, you know a lot of times WordPress is connected or in some way integrated into the single sign-on systems that school use that schools use, um, and most schools have their directories publicly available. Mm -hmm. So the individual user names probably are already well known. I would still argue even then to hide those usernames because it's it's one piece of the puzzle and you're almost always going to have at least one local admin account for those scenarios where the single sign-on system is down. Mm -hmm. so if you can add a layer of defense into your strategy, I always advocate for doing it, especially if it doesn't come with a, with a great cost. So hiding usernames is actually not, it's pretty easy. It's I think 15, 20 lines of code maybe tops in there that I show um, that you can you can block those uh, from being freely displayed. And again, it's just one more layer into your into your defensive layer defense in depth strategy uh, that you can add with very little cost. Mm -hmm. And it, it makes whoever's attacking you work you know at least a little bit harder. Right. And a lot of single sign-on systems. And this is in the presentation I advocate for using your school single single sign-on system if you have one is that you, you offload that responsibility to the system or the team that's in charge of that single sign-on system because you've, you've moved over enforcement of passwords and password structures to them. Now you don't have to manage that in WordPress. WordPress or uh, Password recovery, you've moved all that out of WordPress over to them. Uh, you know, username recovery, 
that's all moved over to that single sign-on system. So you're removing those areas of potential vulnerability out of WordPress onto another system, and that system is dedicated to enforcing those things. Yeah, I mean, it's done so much better when it's done by, uh, you know, an organization or an entity like Shibboleth or Google or whomever else you have doing it. I mean, even if you aren't on campus, this is probably still a better way of doing it. And for campus, it's a no-brainer, too, because, I mean, so much of the time you have uh, so many users who have multiple accounts and multiple passwords, and they're writing them down somewhere, and that's terrible practice anyway. Uh, so for us, this is, this is like step zero. And again, in, in training, it's like the, the first thing that you say every time and repeat it. <laughs> yeah, weak passwords is another huge uh, yes. area of problem with WordPress because out of the box, it doesn't enforce strong passwords. Uh, you, you know, you have to do something. You have to install a plugin or write something yourself to enforce those strong passwords. And so, it's the one thing that we as developers can't really do that much about other than, you know, some enforcement. Um, this one's on them. Um, right. So. I mean, you can, like you said, you can, you can install the plugin and enforce it there. But even then, you know, just updating passwords and, and updating them all the time is a bad thing. But once a year, it's probably a good idea to update those passwords. So, you know, how many times in your local WordPress accounts do you go back and update those once a year? I'd argue most people never update yeah. those passwords. Yeah, yeah I, I don't want to answer that question because I don't want to give anything away. But, <laughs> but it's not going to be a good answer. Right. I mean, I, and we all do it. It's, it's nothing to be embarrassed about. But moving, the, moving that piece over to your school's central system, well, then you're falling under your school's policies. So if your school, you know, is... If they enforce a password change once a year. That's not something you, as a as an admin of WordPress, then have to have to worry about and manage. It's all moved over. Mm -hmm. It's all about mitigating risks. Right. What do you use to, uh, I guess, test yourself and probe your probe your own defenses? We WP scan a lot. Um, mm -hmm. We also do Metasploit, and we've done a lot of stuff with uh, Recon NG, which I mentioned during the presentation. Those are just frameworks for basically scanning and attacking yourself. Um, in addition, if I if I have access, I'll go in and look and see what they've got uh, to look further from what I haven't been able to find through the reconnaissance tools. Um, we also on campus we use uh, I'm going to forget the name. App scan to do pin testing. Um, so we try to do those at least once a year with all our sites just to see if there's something we missed. Uh, the only thing with those, and this is for anybody that does this, there's just a lot of false positives, and you just got to kind of wade through that and understand what it is you're looking at and, and really dig in. Now, I would just say I've, I've sat through a lot of WordPress security training and classes, and I've taught my own. Um, and this was the first one that I've ever seen that sort of came at it from that opposite perspective, that hack hacker's perspective, um, trying, you know, using WP Scan to scan the sites and see what information they get. And it was pretty fascinating to see just how much information they could get and so easily. Um, and, and then sort of, you know, your presentation walks through how do we shut off these various things that they get, which was really helpful. I think when you started up WP Scan is where my notes start using extreme curse words and, you know, frantic typing to, to be like, oh, geez, they have all of this information. I mean, it's really kind of staggering how easy it is for them to get that stuff. Yeah, and, and unfortunately, kind of going back to that whole human resource piece, yeah, a lot of times the person in charge of a site 
isn't a developer and isn't somebody who would call themselves comfortable in the terminal. And a lot of these tools, you know, the, what, what, the, what the tools are doing are so in-depth that it's just easier to build it in a, in a terminal-based thing because you're doing a lot of fingerprinting. You're doing a lot of uh, hashing and, and, and stuff like this. So nobody's going to really build a GUI around that. So I think but it's good because it, it makes it, you know, a, a deterrent for somebody else. Like, I mean, I would have to work through trying to use WP scan in a way that a hacker would just do it in a second. But it's after watching you do it, it seems something that would clearly be worthwhile to try out every now and then because it, it's really insightful. Absolutely. It's not, it's not a difficult tool to use once you understand what it is. I just think that some people who might even have heard about it, you know, they see, oh, it's in a terminal, and then they kind of shy away. Attackers, you know, not shy, not shy, uh, and we don't even know all the tools that they have access to until you start looking in the dark web, you know, and start actually trying to find these tools. It's we don't even know what they've got access to. Uh, yeah, but what we do know they have access to is scary enough. So right, exactly. And at least WP Scan gives us the ability to look and say, okay, this is we know that this information is easily retrieved. Talk a little bit more about WP Scan, and I guess what are some of the markers you're looking for? Um, we've talked a little about uh, information you can find about plugins uh, and, and usernames, but what else are you looking for as you're as you're attacking one of your own sites? Really, I'm looking for just what it is we're leaking. So it could even be in the headers, uh, uh -huh. or I mentioned in the in the presentation, like in the robots file. Uh, the presence of XML RPC, especially for those amplification brute force attacks. Uh, and that's really how, that's how our site was compromised last fall was, was with that amplification attack. We, we hadn't locked down XML RPC because we just, you know, why? It's there, but we're not using it, so we just leave it alone. Right. Um, and it was through a weak admin password um, that they were able to get access. So that's one of the things I look for. A lot of it, and again, I, I do a lot of scanning for sites that are being moved into our host to make sure that at least what they're moving in is somewhat, somewhat secure. And so I'm looking for a lot of those old plugins. You're like, what plugins do you have? Are you keeping them up to date? If you're not, you know, are there vulnerabilities? Those types of things. I'm trying to think what else is in there. Um, you know, themes that have vulnerabilities. If Tim thumbs in, then it's an automatic no. You know, we just, we're like, no, you've got to get rid of that because... Mm -hmm. And thumb is just costing you problems. Uh -huh. let's, let's take a step back and talk about some of the things you do on the WordPress side of things to close off some of these vulnerabilities. Or, or, or once, you, once you see this, this report of some of the information that you see, what do you do when you've got that plugin that is raising your eyebrows? How, how, do you, how do you vet it against some of the other plugins that might do what it does? How do you, how do you choose what the right option is? So vetting plugins, that's, that's always a fun one, especially if you don't have full control over the site. Um, a lot of times in, in my work, if somebody's asking for a plugin, the first thing I'll do is I'll, I'll counter with, well, what, what are your goals? What are, the, what are the things you're trying to accomplish here with this plugin? So let's take, it, let's take a look at that and see if there's another way we can do it without adding yet another plugin to the site. Um, yeah, because it is very frustrating that most users find the way to request a new feature or functionality is to tell us what plugin they want, and that's really not the right answer. Right. So, in every time you add a new one, if you're not if you're not going to 
either do it personally or pay somebody else to go line by line and do a code analysis of that plugin, you just don't know what risk you're adding into your system. Mm -hmm. So we always go back to what are you trying to accomplish? Is there is there a plugin we've already vetted that we've already gone through that meets 80% of your goals? So let's do that and compromise on the 20. Um, after that, we'll look at it and we'll say, okay, is there functionality in this plugin that you're looking for that we can build? Is there something that it does that we can do ourselves? Can we build it out ourselves? And is there a justification in the amount of time it might take? So you know, maybe it's something we've heard other people ask for and we just need to go ahead and build it and that way we can reuse it internally. Um, beyond that, it's going and looking at every exploit database you can find and see if it's had past exploits. Mm -hmm. uh, if it's had a past exploit, how long did it take the vendor to, to fix it? Did they fix it you know, immediately? Did they take months or years? If they fixed it, did they actually fix it or did they fix it and introduce a new one or, or say they fixed it but not really? And so kind of looking at that, that history of that plugin and seeing how responsive they are. And then after that, you know, if, it, if it's something we can't build, it's definitely that this particular plugin meets the requirements and it has a clean history, then that's when we finally are like, okay, we'll add it in. Mm -hmm. okay. and, then you, and then you hold your breath and see what happens. Right, and then you just, you, you just constantly monitor. You just have to watch. I, I subscribe to, I don't even know how many lists uh, of, you know, exploit lists, uh, and I'm constantly checking those to see for any signs of a plugin that we use or you know, new stuff for WordPress core, mm -hmm. constantly checking those security lists. Yeah, we actually, we, we have um, an RSS feed for a couple of different security feeds coming into our Slack team. That, and, yes, uh, it, it is sometimes discouraging when you see just how many things come in on a daily basis. Yes, absolutely agree. Um, I set up uh, a ton of Google alerts specific to, to WordPress and security and the plugins we're using, uh, as well as I have it constantly checking our own domains for Viagra and Cialis to see if anything new pops up. <laughs> that's funny. I mean, that's, that's a good thing to do because that's one early indicator of something going wrong. Right. And a lot of, a lot of departments don't consider that fact that, you know, if they're compromised, while their site might not be the most important to the institution, they're probably inside your domain somehow, either as a subdirectory or as a subdomain. And Google is going to ding the root domain. So, like, for us, that's Missouri.edu. And so if, you know, uh, art. I'm going to pick on art. Just I, just pull it out there. They didn't do anything wrong. But <laughs> art.missouri.edu is compromised. Well... Google doesn't go back and say, oh, you know, we're going to blacklist art.missouri. We're going we're gonna to dig missouri.edu. Right. Just having those types of checks for anything, if you, as soon as you can catch them and remediate those, is going to be better off for any of you, like your search engine results or just your reputation in general. So we do a lot of cleanup in that, in that manner, mm -hmm. from, the, from the Google's alerts and then going back to those departments and, and then trying to figure out what happened. Could you tell us a little bit about, um, I guess, the WordPress environments that you have on campus? Is it a lot of multi-sites, or do you have people, you know, do you have some, you know, department or college maintaining their own standalone sites without support from some sort of central WordPress group? Uh, if you can think of it or dream it, we do it. <laughs> that we're, sounds familiar. Yeah, we're, we're completely decentralized. Uh, there really is, there's no real central web team. Um, our team is the, 
kind of the de facto central team, but that was really because we were the biggest. Mm-hmm. So we've got Drupal, we've got Joomla, we've got uh, WordPress, we have Cascade Server, we have Expression Engine, uh, there's Code Igniter based CMSs out there, uh, there's some .NET based CMSs. I really, if, you, if, there, if there's a CMS or an app for having your site online, we've got it on our campus. So for the WordPress users, do you do any training with them? Do you do any outreach of like, you know, this is what you got to do to keep it safe? Or are you just sort of monitoring and trying to step in when you see something go wrong? So for all of the CMSs that I know of, Joomla, Drupal, uh, I think we even have some Magento on campus. Whenever I see a vulnerability, um, we've got several distribution lists on campus that get most of those people managing those sites, and then I'll send out notifications. Sure. Uh, for WordPress, I try to do a weekly update, if not more often, of you know, here's the new plugins that have had vulnerabilities disclosed. You know, here's what's coming up in WordPress. Here's some things you should be watching for, those types of things. Uh, so like this week, Joomla had that big vulnerability disclosure uh, on Tuesday where even if you had registration turned off, you would be able to bypass registration and create a new user. And then there was a second vulnerability to elevate user permissions. You could, even if, dis- even if registration was disabled, you could register and then make an account and admin and so was constantly sending out notifications to campus about you know hey this is what this vulnerability is the patch is out if you didn't patch here's the things you should be watching for so a lot of just communications trying to get that information out to everybody i'm busy thanking my lucky stars we don't have joomla (laughs) for any of our clients right now We're, we're minimizing i think we're down to 11 instances of joomla on campus so we're slowly moving towards Drupal and WordPress and Cascade as the three. I, I sympathize. I'm with you. <laughs> there are a lot of distractions. There's a lot that's going on, and it's really hard to come up with a a strategy that that really works. So I guess, um, how do you I, how how do you manage your security strategy? How do you how do you think about Besides just notifying people, do you have do you have a five year plan for, you know, finding a way to secure your domain or anything like that? Uh, yeah, so that's another. And this is probably going to be the same across every campus. Our we have a security department on right. that's in charge of doing, you know, uh, incident response and vulnerability scanning. Uh, the challenge is the same there as it is everywhere else, and that's we can't keep people. Um, you know it. Higher ed doesn't pay the same as the private sector. And so we lose a lot of our good security people to the private sector because they can pay two and three times what we pay. Mm-hmm. Uh, my only strategy has been that security and accessibility are the two hills I'm willing to die on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I will dig my feet in in either one of those cases and say, no, you know, if there's a security problem or if there's a perceived, a perceived security problem where I have a really strong gut feeling that there's something wrong or there's, there's going to be a potential problem. I'll dig my heels in and say no and then put myself on the line to protect the university because I feel that that's my job. You know, it's, it, I don't probably going to get in trouble for saying this, but my, 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 rely, my allegiance isn't to my, isn't to my boss or even my boss's boss. My, my allegiance is to the institution. And for those two things, I'm willing to put my neck on the line to protect us. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that really answers as a five year strategy. No, but I mean, I think that's, I think that's sort of the situation a lot of people find themselves in. 
do you, how do you handle customer pushback? You know, surely you've got some some site owner who says, you know, I I don't care if you say it's insecure. I need this thing. How do you, how do you handle that? I give them not that full presentation, but chunks of that presentation. Yeah. Um, I show them, you know, this is what happens when your site's compromised. And this is what happens when you introduce risk and just kind of walk through those things or try to come up with some analogies that'll make sense to them. Um, we have had some though that say, you know, no, you're just, you, this is what I want. You're going to have to do it. And so at that point I'll say, then I'm out. I'm not going to take responsibility for this because I believe it will be compromised. And I can't have that. You know, I can't take responsibility for something. I, I have a strong feeling is going to be a problem. And at that point, we have to say, you know, you're just going to have to take this back on your own and you're going to have to handle it, um, which is never a good thing. I mean, I'm always trying to convince them that, you know, like uh, I talk about in the presentation, locking down the admin area and the login area to our campus networks. We had a really big pushback on that. Right. But I've had numerous examples of sites where through other methods, uh, accounts were injected into WordPress but then had logs that showed people were trying to log in but couldn't because they were blocked. Mm -hmm. So just taking that data back and saying, look, you know, I, I understand that having to use the VPN to log in is a pain. It's an inconvenience. It's not fun. But because of that, you know, here's three sites that were compromised, but they weren't really compromised because we had that extra layer of defense. We had that, that lockdown of the networks and they weren't able to do anything, even though they were able to sneak in the account through other methods. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so for listeners, that was just that you guys locked it down so that only campus IPs could, could uh, log in. Correct. They either had to be on the wired, the wireless, or the VPN to log into our sites. Yeah, and this is something we've definitely talked about doing as well, and we haven't yet on our campus, um, but I, I like the idea. Yeah. And, there, and there's pushback because it is. You have to, yeah. you know, you're on your phone and you want to do another yeah. thing. Now you have to install a VPN for your school on your phone. Right, or you you know you work from home and you don't want to have to deal with installing VPN on right. you know every device that you might have with you or something like that. And I try to just frame it in the in the sense of well you know the risk greatly outweighs the inconvenience because you know you've got let's say you got research papers on there do you want those research papers released to everybody in the world? Well, no. Well, that then this is why we're doing this. We're trying to protect that data. At this point, um, you got me feeling paranoid. <laughs> you got me feeling nervous. So, uh, supposing I was a complete novice, what do I do next? How do I figure out how to uh, how to keep my sites safe and uh, and move forward? You know, knowing that they're out to get me and I need to do something. The the number one thing I always tell people is to start looking at OWASP O W A S P, which is the Open Web Application Security Project. Mm -hmm. uh, they have hundreds upon hundreds of local chapters throughout the world, with over a hundred in the U with over a hundred in the U.S. There's a good chance if you live anywhere near a major metropolitan area, you've got a local chapter. Um, and I would strongly encourage getting in touch with your local chapter and start attending some of those meetings, and then begin to learn about you know the top ten risks that are out there and learn what those are. Um, they've got OWASP, the main chapter has you know vulnerable environments that you can download and begin to attack yourself and see and learn how these things happen and how how they play out um, you know how exploits are injected and executed uh, so OWASP is a fantastic place to start because it'll get you a really good 
framework and base knowledge of security vulnerabilities and security risks. And that's where I usually tell people to start. Start there. Uh, they've got like tons and tons of presentations from the last 10 years or more of uh, OWASPs, OWASP presentations that have been given. So it's a great place to start. Mm -hmm. Say that for me once. Is it OWASP? Was that what you said? Yeah, OWASP, the Open Web Application Security Project. Nice. Just like I said, tons of good information. Um, you know, if you don't have a local chapter and you think there's enough interest, you can start a local chapter and they'll sponsor you. They'll help give you resources to get that going mm -hmm. uh, and then sustain it. And it's just, you'd be amazed how many people in the private sector would be more than happy to come in and help out with that. And just raise that awareness. The whole, the whole goal, the whole goal of OWASP, the whole focus of OWASP is securing software through education and awareness. So it ties in real nicely to higher ed, you know, in that educational piece. Mm -hmm. And then once I, once I get involved in that, and that now I'm looking back at my uh, at my WordPress websites, what's some low hanging fruit that I'm going to see? You know, what's what's my starting point for uh, for securing that that installation? Yeah, I want to know what what you see people doing all the time that you're like, that is just the dumbest thing. Well, I don't know if I'd say it's the dumbest thing, but I would say it certainly is, does, it's amazing when I go into people's sites, how many people have just 30, 40, 50 plugins installed and 90% of them aren't being used. And so that's a super easy thing you can do is delete every plugin you're not using because every plugin that you've installed adds an extra layer of risk to your site. Right, even if it's not activated. Even if it's not activated, because you don't know what's in it necessarily. So just in, just uninstalling, totally deleting all of those plugins that you're not using. You know, if you want to test it out, install it, test it out, you decide it's not for you, don't just leave it, get rid of it. And, I, and I'll admit, I'm a digital pack rat. I have, <laughs> I've been at the University of Missouri since 2000, and I have every email I've ever received over the last 16 years. I'm a, Total digital pack rat. So I nice retention policy. <laughs> I, I don't know what the retention policy is, what their policy is, but mine is never get rid of anything except for plugins and themes. So get rid of those if you're not using them. That's a super easy, low hanging fruit thing that you can do. Um, beyond that, you know, like directory listings, make sure those are, are disabled on your server, mm -hmm. not freely giving out that information. Um, and then really begin to apply all of those top 10 that you might learn in, in OWASP to your own site. Uh, you know, looking for this, you know, look at the stack, the whole thing, the, the, the operating system, Apache, database server, PHP, making sure all those are secure. Uh, turning off all debugging information that you don't need. Getting, getting rid of overly informative error messages. Just, just all those basic concepts and begin applying them back to your WordPress site. So you've, you've presented on this topic at a couple of different conferences, and you're talking about it here. Um, I think most people are going to turn to you and call you an expert. Uh, have you had anybody come up to you after a presentation and just, like, surprise you either with a problem that they have or surprise you with, like, you know, something they're doing to secure their sites that you would never even thought of? That's a good question. I, I would say I'm not an expert so much as just I'm old and experienced. <laughs> been through a lot. Uh, I think you have a t-shirt that says that somewhere. What's that? I'm not an expert. I'm just old and experienced. I should. I should get a t-shirt that says that. I think the big one that always comes up is just, you know, I've got 
because I talk about it in the presentation, we shouldn't allow PHP to execute anywhere except, you know, the, the index file back at the beginning and some specific files back up at the root of the site. Mm-hmm. I think the big one that always comes back is, well, I've got this plugin that needs to execute inside the plugins directory because that's just how it's built. i got to have this functionality. What do I do? And that's a tough one. Yeah. Ideally, the you know the developers of the plugin, there's a, there's a full set of APIs in WordPress that can do just about anything and everything you need to be able to do. There's really no reason to execute directly inside the plugins directory. Mm-hmm. But not every developer knows that. I mean, not everybody has an encyclopedic knowledge of you know WordPress's APIs. It's, it's extensive. So how do you deal with that? What do you do? And it's a tough one because you know you don't want to allow it because you do open up that risk. But at the same time, what's the ROI on rewriting it or, or trying to find a different one? You know, and that's just one where you got to just try to read that file as best as possible, and analyze it yourself, and then determine if it's worth the risk. You know, if the convenience of the plugin and the, and the functionality is worth the risk of, of opening that piece back up. Mm-hmm. That's the one that always stumps me because I just there's just no really good answer. Yeah, yeah, I don't have an answer for it either. <laughs> the only other one is once. What do you do when your site is compromised? Like, how do you? What do you do? In fact, uh, there was a question recently. This exact question in the uh, advanced WordPress users group on Facebook. Of saying, you know, I was taking on a client site. I'm starting to look at it, and all of a sudden, I discovered a back door. Now, what do I do? That one's tough too, because once you've been infected once, it's really, really hard to clean everything up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and at that point, unless you're really comfortable with like in the terminal and running grep and look and doing regex and those types of things to try to find all the fingerprints of these things, it's almost always best to just hire a third-party company like a security or white hat or I think WordFence offers a service to come in and help help clean that up for you. Yeah, I'm with you. It's, too, it's super depressing. This is something that I talk about in my class too. And it's like, I don't want to spend any more time on this. I want to spend more time on how you don't get hacked because once you have, um, you, mean, you can talk about backups all day, but chances are that site put a backdoor in long before they had to, you know, I mean, before they let you know they were there. Uh, and it's a it's a major problem. And mo- most people don't even realize that's a thing. Right. Oh, yeah, because once, once they're in, they're usually going to wait. They're not going to take right. advantage of things right away. They're going to wait, and then they're going to ping or do, some sm- or do some more probing every once in a while just to see if they still have that connection mm-hmm. uh, in hopes that if you saw something initially that you've now forgotten about it. Yeah, so you're, you're back up to, you know, your last known good day is you know, not no guarantee at all. Yeah, I, I had one where I found uh, an admin user had been injected and went back, I want to say nine, maybe 12 months worth of backups of the database and it was still there. You know, it was there for a long time. Yeah. And I mean, I'm, I'm not sure that I can speak to all of our sites to having more than, you know, 12 months worth of backups. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times that's, yeah. Yeah, like, well, like I said, I'm a, I'm a pack rat, so all those backups I keep. <laughs> yeah, well, I guess next next episode we're gonna have to have you back, and we can talk about incident response and uh, and gutting a website and starting over again because that's that's usually what it seems to take. And uh, Git repositories. Yeah. 
have all your clean code over in Git so you can get it back quick. That's right. Well, Paul, uh, I don't know that it's been good talking to you because uh, I want to go and <laughs> so clean, and and probably I'm going to spend the rest of the afternoon fretting and worrying. As Brian is going to deem this podcast the most depressing one he's ever done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, next month we'll see if we can top it. Um, <laughs> At least he understands my notes now from your session where I was yeah. like, oh, holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> And that's kind of the point of the of this of this session is to give you to give people that aha moment of wow I had no idea that this was there so just that again I'm real big into education and, and sharing knowledge so mm-hmm. that educational piece of I didn't know it was there but now I do and now I can take care of it and so hearing that you had that moment that's exactly what I wanted yeah whole- like I said I mean I already teach this class but I'll be going back to uh, added definitely some of the stuff that you talked about and uh, you know, beef up a couple of points here and there to sort of, yeah, depress people some more. Make sure yeah. that people are paranoid when they leave. I've learned well, just something from the best. And make sure they know what can happen and does happen so they can better prepare. Right. right. Well, on that note, uh, that's sort of a hopeful note, so let's end it there. <laughs> uh, thank you very much for joining us. When this podcast is posted, uh, the 2017 WP Campus host application will have just closed, I think. So uh, stay tuned in the coming months for more information about next year's conference. Paul, I'm guessing you're going to be back for that conference? Yes, I will definitely be there. And uh, if, if you need more WP Campus in your life, and you probably do, check out WP Campus Online, a one-day virtual conference scheduled for January 23rd, 2017. Uh, call for speakers ends on November 18th. Paul, have you submitted a uh, proposal for a session for WP Campus Online? Yeah, Rachel and, uh, and Shelly and several of the others I, and I have been talking about some things that we can add in there. Awesome. Cool. Yeah. Uh, so I know we're especially interested in getting case studies and uh, you know why WordPress and higher ed type narratives telling your story of WordPress at your institution. So you can learn more and submit your proposal at wpcampus.org slash online and pay attention to all the WP Campus ways of finding information at wpcampus.org on Twitter, wpcampus on Slack, um, going to wpcampus.org, uh, the hashtag wpcampus. Uh, I'm thinking there are probably other ways of getting WP Campus information that Rachel is thinking, oh, why didn't he mention that? Uh, Even at this moment, she's coming up with something new. Even at this moment. Um, for this podcast, you can get more information at WPCampus.org. If you have a suggestion for a future topic on this podcast, tweet it to us at WPCampus.org, and we will see it and uh, maybe ask you to be a guest. Hopefully anybody that has questions, you know, reach out to me. I'd be more than happy to help. Um, Paul, is your presentation available online? Can you share that? Yes, it is. It's actually really easy to find. It's on GitHub. So github.com slash gilzo. And it's called Access Denied, and there's multiple branches there for pretty much every time I've presented it. So you can you know, pick the one. The, the most recent one will be for the one at H- uh, Higher Ed Web. All right. And we will uh, have a link to that on wpcampus.org slash podcast as well. Perfect. The only other thing I'll add is I also have a presentation on the OWASP Top 10. So while you're there checking out Access Denied, feel free to jump over and take a look at that OWASP Top 10 and, and start learning about those top 10 risks. Awesome. Cool. All right. Thank you, Paul. Thank you.